Hello and welcome to Criterion Close Up. Very scary. This is a a carnival of Criterion, Criterion Souls, Close Up. I I don't know, Aaron. (laughs) It's October. It's uh, our horror uh, thing deal. (laughs) Kicking it off. Kicking it off on uh, uh, early October. We've got some more uh, cool horror titles coming up um, we'll talk about that later but uh, yeah carnival of souls today episode 52 criterion close-up good to talk to you aaron glad you survived the uh the hurricane matthew came through and uh, you're doing all right we we're worried yeah, about ha- you half a day without power is like hell for it, it it's like my carnival of souls for uh, film buff <laughs> uh, I, I felt like i was <laughs> at salt air just uh, wandering around <laughs> nothing to do looking for cell reception <laughs> Yeah, were, were there some strange people with uh, white uh, makeup on their faces chasing after you, or no? Well, we we do have a a, a couple cats that are white, so yeah, I guess guess yeah. we uh, yeah. Um, cats are spooky, so that's fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us for Criterion Close Up. We have a special guest. Uh, this is really the third time we've done this. I'm sitting here. Uh, with a guest, we had Keith Silva, and then we had the live show where Aaron and I were sitting next to each other. And I'm now sitting next to Mr. Eric Ford, um, co-founder of the Burlington Film Society, also part of programming for the Vermont International Film Festival. Welcome, oh, Eric. Oh, thanks. Welcome, Eric. Thanks so much. It's, uh, Glad it's to great. have you. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> first-time sitter. Yes. That's right. Uh, no, it's great to be here. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Glad we could do it. This is, uh, and I know this film's right in your your wheelhouse. We'll link to uh, an introduction that you did for uh, a television program where you talked about this. And uh, but yeah, that'll be that'll be cool. But before we get into that, you know, we used to do Criterion Connections, but really what we want to do is get just some insight into you and uh, I. I've had a great, great time getting to know you over the past, what, two or three years now, getting involved with the Burlington Film Society and the Vermont International Film Festival, which is upcoming in October. But um, so we just want to kind of get your thoughts on maybe a a few favorites there. But um, yeah, what about the Burlington Film Society? I mean, why uh, why put together a film society? What made you want to do that? Yeah, well, that's, you know, it's a good question. Uh, (laughs) Started in 2012. Myself and uh, Barry Snyder started the Film Society really out of, I mean, born out of frustration a little bit, but also sure. in celebration of cinema. Um, it, as is most the case in, in, in a lot of places, there just wasn't a way to see documentary film, foreign film, uh, art house cinema locally in the mm-hmm. theater with your friends. And so we really wanted to take that head on and present films in public. So we started... Um, a monthly series presenting films that just you couldn't see uh, locally, and and it's been great. Um, and also just part of the uh, the film foundation, which has a, a yearly film festival in October, which is coming up on the twenty first this in October. Um, so again, it's a it's all relative and just really excited to present film locally uh, to an audience. Yeah, it's a great great thing. I I found it. Uh... Well, being in Vermont, you know, I, I, I really, I'm really jealous of people like Scott who are in California, Scott and I from Criterion Cast, because they have access to a mm-hmm. lot of films, a lot of restorations. And, you know, one of the being in Vermont, it's just, it's very limited where there right. are, like Eric said, there's a lot of films that we would miss. So it was a way to bring some of those just to, you know, the one screening monthly um, and see films on the big screen that otherwise would 
the only way you'd see it would be like Netflix. So yeah, and to have discussion around it, you know, like mm-hmm. what we're doing right now, actually. But, exactly. But live and, and in person, I think that was that's mm-hmm. the key, really, is see films together, talk about them, and, right. uh, and have a space to do that. So Yeah, that's yeah, great. It's great. Yeah. I, I love that. So, yeah. And you got uh, VTIFF. Is that what it's called? VTIF. VTIF. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the Vermont International Film Festival. This is our the 31st year, actually. It's been around for a while. It's awesome. It's a 10-day festival. It's the 21st through the 30th in Burlington. Uh, we've got almost 100 uh, films and events this year. So Nice. It's exciting. Yeah, we you know, spent most of the year um, selecting films. I got a team of six folks. We worked together to, to find films and uh, and curate the festival, and it's it's always a lot of fun. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun to do it. Um, it's a great location too. I mean, if anyone wants to, you know, come to a film festival, Burlington, Aaron, you were here. I mean, it's the mm-hmm. the screenings are right near the waterfront, so you know you can oh, go nice. to the waterfront. You know, it's it's during foliage season, and you know, right downtown Burlington, it's really a great place to be. So you know, it's a good place to hang out for a week for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I was looking at the uh, the lineup, and I I think the House Maiden looks very interesting. Uh, Chanwick Park, right? Uh, guy that did Old Boy. That's it. Yeah, I hear this one's a little racy, just a bit. So, yeah, that's that's one I, I reserve my tickets for that one. That's a, a must see. The but, Handmaiden, uh, yes. Yeah. Any yeah. any other uh, kind of favorites or? Oh man, it's I could go on and on. Uh, mm-hmm. I won't. Uh, I'll pick out a few. Um, you know, as I as I mentioned, we program as a team, so I actually haven't seen all of the films that are in the festival. I saw a lot of films that didn't end up in the festival. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so watch hundreds of films. Didn't all make it, of course. Right. Um, one that I'm really excited for, I, I started a few years ago, a thread in the festival, After Dark. Um, so trying to show genre films in the festival. Um, cool. Not at midnight, because right. people in Vermont don't stay up that late. We don't late. stay up that late. Yeah. <laughs> so, so no like, after midnight, but after no. dark. <laughs> yeah, like 9 o'clock is like pretty late for people here. So uh, That's Vermont's so, midnight. Right, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. That's right. Uh, one film that we're showing is, uh, it's been getting a lot of buzz lately, is Under the Shadow. Um, by yeah. Babak An- Anvari. It's a uh, um, it's an amazing film. It's in Farsi. Um, it takes place in the 1980s in Tehran. Um, so it's it's uh, it's essentially a ghost story. Um, incredibly visceral. I found it actually. It's I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it's my favorite film this year so far. Wow, great! Of all the films I've seen, I, I highly recommend checking it out. It will be streaming on Netflix at some point, probably November. Um, they grabbed it up. Uh, so it's a horror film, but it brings up a lot of things, a lot of things about culture uh, in the Middle East, um, things about, uh, you know, feminist subjects, um, uh, just the, the the dynamic in the 1980s in mm. the Iran-Iraq war. So there's a lot of, wow. a lot of layers there. Some, some rich history there to draw from. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, all pretty horrifying, actually. So it was a great, great set piece, if you will, that, that time and place. Mm. One other film that that uh, that really stuck out for me is a documentary called "Best and Most Beautiful Things." Uh, it's by a director named Garrett Zvigetis. <laughs> I don't know if I pronounced that <laughs> yeah. right. We'll, we'll he's, go from, with that. he's from Massachusetts, actually. It's a somewhat localized film. Uh, uh, it's about a, a young woman uh, living in rural Maine. Um, the subject is uh, she's legally blind and she's autistic. Uh, and so it's about her becoming an adult and experiencing mm. the world and trying to navigate it. And it's just mm. obviously a really rich subject, um, but yeah. also the, the way that the film was made is just, it's absolutely beautiful. The mm. cinematography, the editing are just fantastic. And, and they actually use 
the idea of being blind and what that might be like as a visual te uh, technique. Oh, um, so they use a lot of um, focus racking and shifting in, in the way that they approach the, the visual part of the film. It's just totally hmm. inventive and engaging. I loved it. So That's cool. I, I, I was just looking at there's two screenings, and one of them is uh, with captions and audio description for the you know, visually oh, impaired. That's, that's, so cool. that's cool. Nice yeah, yeah. Special screening there. Well, there's one that's on my my eye that I I'm pretty sure you had something to do with Eric. Uh, this movie called Phantasm. <laughs> um, I remember seeing that as a kid. That was actually the second horror film I saw. Uh, the first one was The Shining, which we've talked about uh, when I was yep. about eight or nine or something. Uh, and then the Phantasm, probably when I was about ten or eleven. And uh, I still am haunted by that thing, <laughs> but I love it. Uh, oh and, yeah, new restoration, and, right? New restoration. Yeah, this is the so we're doing a double feature actually, of uh, Phantasm Remastered. J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot. He's a huge Phantasm nerd. So. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, cool. so thanks, he, J.J. This was kind of his pet thing to take this and and hmm. remaster it. It's absolutely gorgeous, beautiful restoration. Uh, and we're also doing a double, we're doing a double feature and showing the new uh, and final Phantasm film, Ravager. So it's gonna That's be a, cool. it's a good horror night. It's a you know mm -hmm. exclusive Vermont screening. The only place you're going to see it is at the festival. And yeah, I'm really, it's going to be a great night. Very, yeah. very cool. Yeah. Now I, yeah. I, I wish I could be there for that one. I think Phantasm is coming out um, from Arrow. Am I right? I think so. Yeah. I figured they would be the ones to put it out, but I haven't seen a release date. Yeah. I'm not sure. I've heard Don Coscarelli, I believe, owns the rights to everything. I think he retained the rights and they're doing a set. So they're going to release them individually, and then I guess early in 2017 there'll be a set of all the films. So, uh, but apparently it's going to be kind of a um, you might want to wait a Lord of the Rings situation. So maybe uh, the initial re releases have different material on them. I don't know. Hmm. Say what you will about that one. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, there. I'll just mention a couple I'm excited for. Uh, there's the new Michelle Gondry film, Microbe and Gasoline. Eric was has seen it. Was talking about it. it's kind of mm -hmm. less um, less. McGondry-ish yeah. <laughs> some of his other movies. But. It's interesting, yeah. Not so much of the, the kind of magic the realism and, and yeah. more just mm. fantastic realism. Um, That's great. You know, very a great coming-of-age story. Um, two kids on a road trip trying to find love and adventure. It's good. Yeah, that sound, sounds good. I'm, I'm in for that. The other one I, that was off my radar uh, until I saw who the director was. Actually, I, I noted in my notes that, oh, this looks great. But uh, the salesman uh, is playing a couple times, and that's of course with the uh, director Askar Farhadi, um, definitely a, a favorite of mine. So, gonna have to check that one out. His latest. Nice. So, yeah, and that—that's actually I didn't realize this. Just looking at the website, it's Iran's uh, submission to the Academy Awards this year. So that's uh, oh, there cool. you go. Ringing endorsement. So yeah, he did cool. uh, a bad separation, right? So yeah, yep. good chops. Yep. Yep. Good. Uh, good stuff there cool well welcome eric great great to have you uh finally here it's nice to talk to you uh this will be a perfect film of course carnival yes. of souls but <laughs> you know before we get into that we we haven't done short takes for a little while so we thought each you know we go around robin each of us have got a couple films what we've been watching to uh to talk about so uh eric i'll turn it to you first all right here we go kicking it off um so i'm participating in something called a gorber fest uh, this Love year, it. which is, you know, it's a horror <laughs> challenge. Um, mm. Locally, we call it that. Um, and essentially, you just try and watch at least one horror film a day. Um, 
which is a challenge for sure. Yeah, can't do it every day. That's that is tough. <laughs> no, but it but it's it's a fun challenge. Um, so yep. I watched a few things that um, of note uh, in the last week. Uh, the first thing that I saw that's worth mentioning is a film called Angst, uh, or you know, it's an Austrian film, so they might pronounce it Angst. That's true. <laughs> Angst. Angst. Uh, <laughs> so this this is a film by Gerard Cargill. Please excuse me for pronunciation. I'm not sure that I'm. Doing You're in good company. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so please excuse. Um, this is his first and only feature film. Um, you might describe it as the. Um, it's like the Austrian uh, Henry Porter of a serial killer uh, mm. is something you could you could say to describe this. Um, Gaspar Noe is a huge fan. He does um, he does a, an intro to this and quite a bit of writing on the uh, on the uh, the booklet in the release. Actually, it's it's a cult epics re- uh, release Blu-ray, um, and it's a it's fantastic. It's a beautiful mm. release. Um, there's a 40 page booklet it's a heavy disc <laughs> yeah ton, tons of uh, tons of features great commentary uh, just a beautiful transfer of um a film that honestly i mentioned henry portrait was serial killer i thought mm. it far exceeds that film it's a fantastic film the cinematography alone it's highly recommended to see um mm. it's 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 uh i god i'm gonna try to pronounce this guy's name the cinematographer <laughs> it's a big new rubsinski polish That's, pretty good yeah. Yeah, for the first name yeah, i think so it's got, polish he's, but, polish. Yeah. He, he's a oscar award-winning cinematographer he had a short that won in the early 80s this nice. film's from 1983 um fantastic lots of crane shots overhead um it's almost happens it unfolds almost in real time it's like a home mm. invasion film mm. um based on a true story that happened something that happened in austria so um it, it got played for a week in the in the cinema and got pulled Wow. Uh, it just was too too much for people. Um, too angsty. Um, too, too much <laughs> angst. Uh, but uh, so this is really the first significant release in the United States that Cult, Cult Epics has done for this film. And, That's great. And just I highly, highly recommend it. It's, it um, went right to my wish list as soon as Aaron brought it in, or A- Eric brought it in, so... Oh, Eric Aaron, and we're gonna get this is getting get confusing. Actually, I, lo- I looked him up, and he's done a lot of uh, music videos from the '80s. Uh, some mm. good ones I remember too. Close to the edit. Uh, oh. Uh, the art of noise. Yeah, that uh, was. Cool. A, oh man, right. That was. And great. some others, yeah. So. Yeah, he like, was, you know, just kind of a bitter situation with a distributor. Things that might create a cult classic, perhaps. That, yeah, hmm. <laughs> hmm. That's why it's distributed by cult films. Very nice. There you go. Um, and then, uh, great. yeah, so cool. should I just go ahead we'll, with my the we'll, second? We'll turn it to Aaron. Oh, we'll okay. go around Robin. Sorry, I don't know your, <laughs> don't know your ways fully. <laughs> Our etiquette. It's okay. <laughs> there, there really is no uh, no routine. but uh, There isn't really, but well, I, my, my kinda, you see, Aaron? kind of sort of pair together. I was actually going to do Value of the Dolls, but, you know, there's... Not much to say about those those two. So instead, I'm going with another uh, two films that have a loose connection, but really no connection whatsoever. Uh, so I'm going to start by uh, talking about Neon Demon, which is uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. Refn? Refn? Is that? I don't know. Uh, I go with which, Refn. I don't know. Yeah. Refn, Depends yeah. on the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and I, I actually, I, I'm, I'm in the minority on this, but I wasn't a huge fan of The Driver. I, I liked it. I, I thought it was a little bit too much style. Mm. The style was terrific, but uh, and but I didn't think of it as profound. I thought there could have been a little more uh, development, and I, I kind of saw this as going in the same direction. H- have you guys seen this yet? I haven't. 
I have not. I've seen a lot of animated GIFs on Facebook as they promote <laughs> it, but I have yeah. not seen this. I've seen everything else. I just haven't seen this one. I yeah. think I know what those probably are. Uh, yeah. There Did are, they play yeah. in theaters here even? No, it no. never came. No, yeah. they, they really? promoted oh. it, but yeah. it's another it did, one of those that was there. No. It, it didn't do well in theaters, and it, it didn't do well critically. Um, but, I mean, it's worth seeing because visually, it, it kind of like Drive, it's, it's not even as good as Drive, but it's... You know, I watched it at home, of course, and I, I turned out the lights, and it really did draw me in uh, from a visual uh, perspective. Uh, the first half, I thought, was really intriguing. The second half, it kind of comes off the rails. Uh, there's, of course, I think Reffin's known for some oddities. Some, he goes to certain places that most directors wouldn't go to. Uh, if you've seen Drive, sure. you, you probably know, but uh, mm-hmm. I won't spoil anything, of course. Uh, so, yeah, there's some... It's kind of a mixed bag. I, I've noticed it's a, a pretty divisive uh, re- reaction to. Some people love it. Uh, most people hate it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so. it, it sounds similar. I mean, it's the same reaction to his last film, Only God Forgives. There's right. a few people that absolutely loved it and probably haven't seen this, but probably the same people that are going to love this mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that one either because I was turned off by the people that hated it. Uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard good, enough good things about this. Uh, I was willing to give it a try. And, uh, and I, yeah, it was okay. Yeah, Reffin's one of those, it's like long on style, short on substance, maybe, Yeah, kind of things. Yeah, and I, I think the people on. that love him, uh, I, 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 his films I really need to revisit, but the people, I think the people that love him find more substance there, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's there or not, they, they happen to find it, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably one of those directors you could rewatch three, four times and, and find things, and I, I'm sure there is right. more there, but it's, it's a little disconnected to his, uh, so it's... To me, it's more pretty pictures and uh, <laughs> some interesting character developments, but it, it doesn't really, like, you know, we talked about Mulholland Drive. David Lynch is great at, at teasing uh, uh, or making you intrigued with these characters that are pretty pretty disconnected from the viewer. I, I think that in this case, he doesn't quite succeed, although it's unfair to um, compare Reffin to Lynch. So, Mr. Mark... Well, let's go from uh, Mr. Reffin to the Holocaust, shall we? Oh, that's uh, a nice transition. <laughs> nice segue. Yeah. I actually have a, there's a, a bit of a tie-in, I, I, for better or worse, the Holocaust may come up a, a little bit later. And there is actually, um, the other film that is Holocaust-related in VTIP is The Last Laugh, which is going to be mm, playing. So right. a little, little comedy there. Um, that one's about really questioning, can you um, make the Holocaust funny? So. We'll, we'll we'll see how that turns out. I've heard it's a good film, but but the uh, yeah. So I, I saw uh, Son of Saul finally, the uh, 2015 Hungarian film. Uh, oh, this cool. was, of course, won the uh, Academy Award last year or well, for 2015. The awards in 2016. Uh, Laszlo Nemes both wrote and directed, and uh, yeah, got this from my library, and you know really wanted to check it out. Um, won the Grand Prix at, at Cannes too, and uh, yeah, this is. I'm not going to try to pronounce what Saul is a member of, but he's a Hungarian member of the. I guess I'll try it. Uh, Sonder Commando, I believe <laughs> yeah, that it looks is. Good. Um, who is a group of people that really are helping the Nazis? Uh, not so much that they want to, but they, you know, they take care of their. They lead them into the gas chambers. They take care of the bodies. They take the. Um, their valuables and yeah and you don't really see um a a lot of that in that and what i mean by that is a lot of it is uh, out of focus um because you're really focused on i mean it opens with a four minute unbroken take uh really just Mm -hmm. on his face um 
and the, you know the very first shot is is uh, out of focus again but then he comes into focus and um i i really think this is uh, it's in a four by three format and um yeah i I, I like how the the perspective is uh, either you know it's his face sometimes it's over his shoulder uh, almost like um, almost like a first person shooter you know when you're watching yeah. a movie which is it's sure. it's it's a weird it's weird to think of that when you're watching a Holocaust movie but it, it is what it is um, so really it, immersive too yeah it's, yeah yeah uh, a different film difficult film. Yeah, I, I found it. I don't know if you saw this, if you felt this, Aaron, because I, I was trying to remember what you had said, but uh, I found it very disorienting, which was fine mm-hmm. uh, about what was going on, um, because I, I'm sure, you know, living in that area would be, in that time frame would be uh, disorienting. But I, it was helpful to go back to the Wikipedia for the plot synopsis. I want to thank whoever put that together, sure. because I just, <laughs> you know, I, I had I had trouble um, putting it all together, but... Um, and yeah, I, I liked the, uh, I, I thought the ending, uh, was, was great. Uh, really, really, really good, uh, film. I, I didn't find it as, I guess maybe I for whatever reason, I don't find, um, Holocaust films as difficult as some people do. Uh, I do think it's, uh, an, an interesting topic to, um, delve into, discover, rediscover, think about, I, I think it's important that we do, um, think about that and go back to it from time to time. So I definitely was taken by this film. Yeah, I think after Shoah and Night and Fog, you know the the others just can't uh, compare. That's but but yeah, no, I I talked about that on the um, the only have angels have wings episode. That's the one, and I completely forget what I said, but I, I did like it. <laughs> I mean, I remember quote, you liking quote it, like it. You know, you can't really like it. It's but you appreciate the uh, you know. Ah, go listen to that episode to the see what I think. I forget. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So how about you? Uh, Eric, what's your second pick? Oh, so for my second uh, pick, I went with uh, Criterion release. Um, Ooh, nice. The uh, the blue of uh, the Brood, David Cronenberg. Oh, good, a good one. Nice. Um, yeah, we talked s- about that uh, what about a year ago, I think. A long time ago, um, with Brian Sauer. Brian yeah, Sauer. That, so that was, yeah. I love that episode. That was fun. Yeah, that and we talked fun. about Cronenberg too. That's right. Yeah, and, and I, I hadn't seen this the the blue uh, release yet, uh, so I was excited to have a good excuse. Good excuse. Odd mm-hmm. Gorber Fest and this podcast. There you go. To, <laughs> to revisit this, and just every time I watch it, I love it just the same. Uh, I'm Excellent. I'm you know a huge Cronenberg fan. One of my, mm-hmm. my one of my faves. Uh, uh, you know, newer stuff. Yeah, maybe. It's uh, <laughs> um, good. Although his son is looks to be. Um, upcoming force his his uh film that he did a couple of years ago oh, yeah, i didn't Brandon catch Cronenberg. that yeah, yeah i missed that too i can't remember the name of it now but <sighs> it's escaping it me at the moment but uh yeah it's about eating celebrity flesh uh oh, antiviral antiviral that's that's the name it, of it yeah yeah so it's like people inject themselves with viruses that are um from celebrities uh, anyway, that, check it out if you have. It sounds like an interesting uh, cultural commentary. Definitely, yeah. yeah. It's very, very much like classic Cronenberg, like The Brood. <laughs> so, <laughs> Body um, horror. but yeah, I just, just just struck again by. I mean, it just looked. The transfer was absolutely gorgeous. It's amazing. It was, um, yeah, absolutely yeah. gorgeous, and just you know, really the, the highlighting the effects work. You know, Rick Baker and Joe Blasco. You know, two mm-hmm. of the uh, classic great you know, practical effects. Tom Savini. You know, that whole crew. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just, just really, and it just, you know, it, you know, you know where it's going, you know, especially if you've seen it and, and it's not too hard to pick, pick up what's happening. Right. Or, or just, if you look at the criterion cover, you know where right. it's going, but <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, don't look. Mega spoiler. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but just it just unfolds in in such a it's such a fun way it's such a it's such a treat to watch this film and yeah. and uh and uh i don't know it just hits all those buttons for me in a film that i that i, that I like to watch so yeah. it's it's amazing how deep it, it is for mm-hmm. you know a body horror film and know? i i one thing yeah. i really appreciate about cronenberg is he always invents something yeah some sort of you know plasmatics is that what right. it's called this right, technique right. of, <laughs> of you know mm-hmm. psychology and it just is so it's like that ma- it makes sense it works mm-hmm. yeah it's fantastical like it and ridiculous yeah. as this is yeah. it somehow works um and and just you know just it's, just it's plausible film. it really is you know? <laughs> yeah it's, well well the the Teletubbies element was not so plausible. But. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to ignore physics a little bit. Uh, it was right. a great concept. Yeah. yeah. We, we had a good time uh, hashing that one out. Uh, so. Yeah. Does it, does that rate pretty high for you for in his work too, Eric? Um. Yeah. I mean, I, I just spot, I like but... all of his early, you yeah. know, all of his early mm-hmm. work. Um. You know, Videodrome's probably for me the standout for yeah. for all of yeah, his work. I'm with you. But, sure. But that any you know any seventies early eighties Cronenberg I'm there good stuff yeah shivers and yeah oh, some yeah. good stuff there yeah. yep. and Dead Ringers the Fly the eighties oh yeah. yeah yeah I mean yeah it just keeps going actually up until you get to Spider and then it starts yeah <laughs> I, I did like Spider for what it's worth but it, it's it's not a it's a different type of Cronenberg so. right exactly yeah. that was kind of the, the shifting point but but yeah any I'll watch any Cronenberg any day yep I'm with you yep me too Aaron what's your second Short well, take. the loose connection is the word neon. So um, I went from neon demon to neon bull, uh, which is a uh, a recent uh, Brazilian film, which we was part of. Speaking of local cinema, was part of our little foreign focus series, uh, which uh, we we are sponsoring this year, or actually for the next three years. Uh, so that we we see uh, one film a month that plays uh, at, at the local uh, indie theater. Actually, two films a month this this month. Uh, but uh, oh, cool. and s- some cool stuff coming up. But this one was uh, yeah. I, I didn't. I, I always go into these blinds, so I don't know what to expect. But I'd heard that it was it was a little strange and symbolic, uh, and so I kind of spe- expected like something like a, a Jodorowsky, uh, something. Hmm. Uh, well, maybe not quite to that extent, uh, that extreme. But I was surprised there was more narrative there. I mean, of course, it's a lot of people would see it as slow cinema. It's drawn out. Um, and actually, it's an interesting contrast with Neon Demon, not that it has anything to do with each other. But it did It did have some, some nice visual elements, but they were threaded well between the uh, the narrative. Uh, and so you did get to know the characters. There was a little bit of uh, exposition. Not They don't hit you over the head with it. You still have to pay attention, um, but and there were some some naughty bits. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not going to say you you can that. Google and there's there's a couple scenes that are a little uh, startling. I, it's not to me it's not offensive, uh, but to some there's one scene in particular that uh, I could hear the squirming in the theater. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, that's funny. Sounds like a Yodorowsky film a little bit. Yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> in that regard. But, <laughs> a little bit, but uh, but yeah, not not with the excess symbolism and because uh, there is some some logic there. So, and actually, we uh, four of us went together and we all liked it uh, quite a bit. Uh, hmm. We were all taken by it. So, uh, and it's it's nice to get some some South American cinema. Uh, just not enough reaches uh, our shores here. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, we, Criterion just last year had their first one with La Cienaga. Um, but I, I think there could be more. I, I'd love to, right. it's not going to happen, but I'd love to see this, this film or a film like it. Uh, it would be a yeah. good fit for the collection. Um, it is. Yeah, I, I'd Netflix. love to see them get some Jodorowsky, although they probably, you know, they probably won't, but 
doesn't quite fit. But yeah, I'm hoping our our film series gets the new uh, Yodorowsky. So I I think they might. I think they're working on it. So cool. Nice. Yeah, it's a second in a trilogy, really. So I did mm-hmm. I did get to to catch that. It's definitely it's it's well worth checking out. Yeah, he's he's good. And uh, Neon Bull is streaming on Netflix, as uh, Eric. Uh, pointed out i had no idea i could have uh, watched it from home but, but it was be- way better in the theater of course yeah. oh so, yeah better always in the theater. always in yeah. the theater nice cool i i think uh that might be my weekend watching we'll see except for <laughs> neon demon watch that at home because you need to pause that <laughs> 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 need to get some coffee go to the bathroom yeah check your ipad <laughs> well i'm i guess my my theme is uh mark catching up on 2015 films that he wanted to see and didn't <laughs> nice so my the other one i watched was uh anomalisa and uh oh, good yeah 2015 definitely two for two for both of these i liked both of these films a lot and uh, anomalisa i think maybe even higher than uh, i expected uh, this is of course directed by duke johnson of course written and directed by charlie kaufman and uh, it's it's about a man who, of course, it's it's all puppetry, stop motion puppetry, with I, I think some special effects, you know, some backgrounds and, and whatnot. And um, but I, I thought were were seamless, and uh, I was pretty taken by this. It's about a man who is um, a customer service uh, speaker, who is really kind of being drawn out from uh, from reality, and it gets to a point where I, I don't really want to go into it much more than that because there mm-hmm. um, could be considered spoilers, but. Um, I, I liked how he's he he has trouble really uh, deeply uh, interacting with really interacting with other people. Everyone kind of seems yeah. the same to him, and uh, I, I thought of it that way. I mean, it's certainly timely for today when it seems like people are whether you want to talk about social media or inability to connect with people face to face, whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, certainly speaks to that. And uh, if, if you if you're someone who Anybody who might be feels like an outsider, uh, this film is uh, probably going to speak to you if you feel like an outsider in one way or another. So, um, I liked it. Very Kaufman esque in that regard. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, right. Uh, yeah. A little, little depressing. Uh, his his movies are a little, uh, re- little a lot of reality, I'd say, um, mixed with the fantasy. And in fact, this yeah. week I, I just happened to write about uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So, and we've already talked right. about Gondry and Kaufman, and I, I actually referenced uh, Animalisa. So, yeah, I, I saw it on a screener, so I I, I didn't get the the best uh, experience. I think for, I think the animation really deserves uh, a, a high def viewing. So I, I need to give this another shot uh, just to kind of dig into it. But um, but I, I did like it. I just didn't love it. Like I, I, Synecdoche, New York, is one of my favorite films of the decade. So oh um, yeah, yeah, love that one. Little bleak. Little bleak. (laughs) (laughs) Another theme there. This this film was one of those that was teased as coming soon to the local air quotes I'm making with my fingers art house theater (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, and never showed up. And so it was kind of dropped off and I was really hoping it was right before the Oscars was really hoping to see it. Still haven't had a chance. So I got to push it up to the top of my list. Actually, Yeah, it's worth checking out. It's short too, but. Yeah. Is, I actually yeah. got it from uh, I got it from my library as a DVD, and I, I I would like to see it in high def, but the DVD is is pretty good. All right, well that was our short takes. Why don't we take a short break, and we'll come back and talk about Carnival of Souls. Leading us in is going to be some spooky, spooky, organ creepy mm, <laughs> organs, lots and lots of organs. I meant I meant the musical inter- instrument, you perv. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we did talk about Cronenberg, so uh, lots of organs. <laughs> Spooky. Nice. All right, we'll take a quick break, come back with Carnival. Carnival. 
Welcome back to Criterion Close-Up. I'm Mark Herney here with Aaron West and here with Eric Ford of the Burlington Film Society and Vermont International Film Festival. We're here to talk about a, a favorite of uh, Eric's, but before we get into that, Aaron, I've got to ask you, you know, it takes it takes more than intellect to be a podcaster. Uh, put your soul into it a little bit, okay? Ooh. <laughs> um. Sorry, little dig there from the uh, from the film. Carnival of Souls. So, yeah, it's uh, spine number 63. Uh, this was a Blu-ray upgrade, uh, just recent one from Criterion. I think released just in time for the July sale, if I remember. Um, 1962 film from director Herc Harvey, his only feature, uh, well, I should say fiction feature uh, film that he directed. Written by John Clifford. Stars some other names that really didn't star in anything else. Candace Hilligoss, Hilligoss as uh, Mary Henry. Francis Feist as uh, Mrs. Thomas, the landlady, Sidney Berger as the neighbor, uh, no one, uh, no woman really wants. Uh, who Poor is... guy. <laughs> yeah. Or Mr. John Linden. It's With that game, trying. come on, how, how could any woman pass that? <laughs> I know. That's <laughs> pretty smooth. Yeah. Smooth. So in the, the film was, well, it's about a woman who has a traumatic accident and is drawn to a mysterious abandoned carnival. Part IMDb. Uh, my favorite part from IMDb actually was the tagline that says, "She escaped death. Now it wants her back." Oh, mm. good one. Yeah, yeah that like is the, good actually. Spoilers. There's no spoiler. Kind of, kind of, sort of. You know. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, kind of. Yes and no. Yeah. yeah. If you know what's going on, maybe. But this was one I, I just wanted to mention too. Was uh, released by Criterion uh, on DVD in 2000. It's a it. Not really something we're probably going to get into, but just the whole background of this release just being, you know, in the public domain and mm-hmm. being released on VHS, and you know, it's nice that Criterion put that out on DVD um, in uh, in 2000, and of course we have this new 4K restoration in uh, 2016. Well, I think yeah. that's it's a good point though because this is, you know, one of those things that it's just like, oh, it's everywhere, it's prevalent, everyone mm-hmm. can get this anywhere. Why would yeah. you do this? And it's, I think it's a it, dollar in the dollar DVD. Right. Band. Yeah. yeah. And I think it really right. just shows that you know. Criterion and folks like me who really believe that there's there's something here of value, a great value, and to not only, you know, preserve it but showcase it, and, yeah. and it really it's beautiful. It's a beautiful release. It yeah, is, yeah, absolutely. and it's probably a, a little buyer beware too. If you do see it in the dollar bin, you probably that's probably not a, a, a pristine copy. I mean, this one just looks fantastic, and yeah. And we should also mention that uh, Rift Tracks is doing a thing on it in a couple weeks, right. and That's it's right. it's very odd. There's you, there's not going to be a Criterion Manos, the Hands of Fate, you know. <laughs> maybe there should be though. May, uh, maybe yeah, no, no. or Birdemic, but uh, <laughs> right. Oh God. But you know, it it works on both levels as as campy indie cheesy movie and as art uh, art house. So it's. Uh, but I have a feeling that the Rift Tracks print and the Criterion print will be a little different. Yeah, that's a good point. This one, it, it, it is, it's just amazing, 4K restoration. And uh, it's, you know, one of those things where they, uh, the DVD has the extended edition, which is about 84 minutes. This version is 78 on the Criterion, but it has the deleted scenes. And, mm-hmm. you know, the reason they couldn't include them is because the, the extra scenes were only really video quality. Um, so they right, decided yeah. to separate it out for this release. The The DVD has it on a separate disc with the director's cut. This one has the, um, you know, just the scenes, not not part of the film. But it, yeah, it looks gorgeous. Black and white, amazing. Mm-hmm. Inky blacks, inky blacks. Yep, that's a, yeah, <laughs> definitely inky blacks. So. 
so let's get into the let's get into the film um you know a lot of we we had some things we kind of uh flitted around what we wanted to talk about and uh, i know this is something that you were bringing up specifically aaron was really about the economy of filmmaking you know the use of music the set pieces uh it was a very i think the budget was like thirteen thousand dollars that they cobbled together from you know yeah. a few a few donators so you know curious i'll turn it to you you know what do you think about the the way this was uh put together kind of that economy of filmmaking well it's interesting i think that um you know herc herc harvey's background just a little bit about him as a as a filmmaker you know he worked for an industrial filmmaking company centron corp <laughs> centron corp it sounds like centron. a big company right <laughs> uh and they're you know in lawrence kansas and they're actually you know um and you can you can hear more about them in the special features um, if you if you check those out on the yeah. disc. Um, mm-hmm. You know, really one of the one of the more well known folks making you know long form educational type films or for for corporations um, in the country. And so he you know really his day job was making these films in a very pragmatic and practical way. So um, mm-hmm. I think you know. And when talking about economy, that's his background, his, you know, mm-hmm. he every day was trying to stay on budget and, you know, make films for a client. So that was just how he approached this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, you know, it's interesting. He, you know, as the story goes, uh, how this film was made, he uh, was on vacation and traveling near Salt Lake and saw the salt air, you know, this kind of creepy, doomed, uh, you know, uh, Coney Island of the the Midwest, essentially, is what, <laughs> right. that, what this was in the middle of nowhere and abandoned at the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and said, "Man, that is that would what a great set." And so that's how this film was born. But he did it, mm-hmm. you know, went back to work and said, "I'm going to take a vacation and make a film." And so mm-hmm. he did. He went back and for in a in three weeks and a few thousand dollars made a feature film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then never made another one again. It's, it's uh, amazing. Yeah, and he, <clears throat> he approached John Clifford, if I remember. Like, I've got this setting. You know, write something around it. Right, mm-hmm. right. And so, so again, I think that speaks to his kind of his the way that he approached filmmaking was this very pragmatic, uh, maybe not artful you know in his mind this was his answer to like i've been grinding it out every day making these you know you know tourism films or films about hygiene or (laughs) sure and this is my my chance to really like you know speak to something uh artistic in 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 what i'm doing and so that was how he approached it um this is sort of about tourism to uh you know abandoned carnivals um (laughs) right uh, it, it really is a fantastic set i i mean Real life set. I, I kind of think of like uh, the Stanley Hotel, you know, other real life. Uh, I, I say set. It's not a set. It's a location. But uh, yeah, yep. it's really does make the film. Uh... Yeah, for sure. And it, the you know, there's a really uh, a wow moment that is really just you know placing the camera in the right place to take a a shot of the set. Is there's this this organ a company that still existed uh, back in '89, and it's a shot where there's um, you know. Um, Mary's playing the the organ, and it's a, a shot from above. That yeah, is, uh, that's a great just amazing. Shot. I mean, for for a film that has such a low budget, it really looks great. And you know, I know part of it's you know the the restoration, but I I mm-hmm. hope this is what people saw when they were um, you know seeing the film for the first time because I, I I can just imagine people seeing this uh, those dollar bin DVDs, and if you you know, you watch this, it's just a, a revelation of how, you know, different the, the film is. I, it does not look like a 13K film to me at all. No, it really doesn't. And, and uh, 
you know that, that just going back to the economy i mean i mean that's you know whether it's the set pieces like the you know finding mm-hmm. oh an organ company great right let's make that a central part of uh, of the, of the main character, right? You know, let's just work that in, sure. and mm-hmm. then oh, there's the soundtrack. There it is. It's built yep. in. Uh, you know, creepy organ music. Um, mm-hmm. Just perfect. Uh, yeah. and, and just the, the the kind of whether it was intentional or unintentional. And actually, uh, Herc has said this that people have taken a lot more meaning from this than he mm-hmm. actually intended. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, right. Yeah. Um, but just having her, the, the the idea of of the main character being a church organist. Um, but being totally disconnected from faith. I mean, that's kind of the, mm-hmm. one of the, the themes. So here we are, we have this kind of, you know, let's put an organ in there. She'll be an organist. But I think that that really lends itself to what's happening thematically in the film, whether yeah. it was intentional or unintentional to make, you know, the main characters, you know, I'm a church organist, but hey, it's just a living. Right. Yeah. You know, so. I'm a movie podcaster, but I hate movies. Yeah, right. <laughs> eh, just something to do. You know. Why not? You know, <laughs> pays the bills, but not it, really. It pays not well, but you know, it pays. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah. So that was you know, just again, it, it was advantageous. You know, to, mm-hmm. to be able to use these and, and really smart. You know, like let's use what we've got. We've got a creepy set. We've got this organ company. You mm-hmm. know, we've we've got um, the the music. It's kind of all all related and, right. and, uh, and the bridge. I thought about the you know the bridge. They talked about how they mm-hmm. you know that in that town it's a wooden bridge and the the rule was that they had to one repair the bridge and two pull the car out of the uh, the, the lake. You know, so right. probably you know <laughs> half their budget right there was you know those those uh, those repairs. But. Yeah, yeah. It's almost kind of a happy accident too that this actually did. I mean, these pe- these people had talent, the filmmakers, the actors, uh, and actually uh, Clifford and, and Herc uh, credit the cinematographer. His name is um, Maurice Prather, uh, and yep. he didn't do anything again, and, and they didn't do anything again, and really That's the amazing. actors didn't either. But yeah. they, but everything did kind of come together, and and I, I think this is an example that sometimes less is more. You know, you, you yeah. Some, sometimes you watch these huge budget, uh, you know, massive summer tentpole pictures, and they're t- terrible. But then you, and, and actually that's happening this year. There's been bomb after bomb. But yep. then these these lower budget, and of course this one is a micro budget, but even even like a moderate budget, you can sometimes, I think sometimes uh, using the, a smaller economy uh, kind of allows for more creative filmmaking. And uh, and that's definitely the case here. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was uh, one of the interesting things, I guess, just to, from the, the supplements, I know um, Candace Hillegas talked about how she really lays it out what it's like to be on a, a, a small budget like this where, you know, there are no stunt women, there's no doubles, mm-hmm. there's no makeup person, you know, you're doing everything yourself. So, you know, if you want to know what it's like to work on a small budget film, she, that's it. No, Do no it doubles. So, you know, if you have to, you know, let's say sit in a, a freezing lake in a car for eight yep. hours, right. yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to do that for you. <laughs> yeah, there was a right. the point in the commentary where Herc was mentioning the end and yeah. how he had to basically force Candace yeah. to, it's not really funny, actually, there. it's kind of disturbing to, you know, like force her to, to be in that scene in the car. He uh, basically committed a felony or, <laughs> it, <laughs> right. and he's like, oh, you know, it's all for the art. See, and and in, in today's uh, day, uh, he, he'd, he'd running for president sorry (laughs) (laughs) wow i I can't help it this week sorry Uh, so this film did become a i mean even even with its low budget and uh really poor distribution there was you know talk about how the the company that was originally well did uh finance the film uh became i think it's hertz lion and the, the 
the uh, president just kind of disappeared. So I, mm-hmm. I don't know if the, uh, the filmmakers ever really got paid for this, but Definitely the film, not. the film did become, it did become a, um, uh, a cult hit later. Originally it was released again in 1962 as a double bill with the devil's messenger. And, uh, the film was, it was shortened to 75 minutes from the 84, Ugh. you know, I'd mentioned before yeah. to, which you know, allowed for, for more showings. Uh, but it did, you know, and it wasn't a hit at the time. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I think the, you know, the, the filmmakers really just thought it would die right there. But, you know, come the, the film started to play in Europe in art house film theaters. And, you know, there is there was a revival in 1989 when it got a new uh, distributor, uh, Panorama Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started playing in the big cities, Dallas, Boston, New York. And started getting critical response. Even Entertainment Tonight, MTV, Siskel and Ebert mm-hmm. were talking about it. So, um, you know, it's, I wouldn't say it blew up, but it became uh, a, you know, influencer uh, at that time. And I, I wonder how much of it really, you know, the film influenced, we'll talk about this in a bit, influences uh, films later. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it seems to come up every you know 10 years or so there's a revival you know now we have the blu-ray revival of carnival of souls so well it's interesting when you think about you know what makes a film a cult film you know i think there's a lot Mm -hmm. of factors but but the core of that is it comes down to marketing and distribution and Mm. being things being bungled essentially not really understanding the true vision of the film it not quote unquote fitting into the market you know so you've got a film like carnival of souls where there's, it's not your typical B movie, B horror mm-hmm. movie of the time. So it's not a Herschel Gordon Lewis film. It's not, you know, right. in your face, guys in rubber suits grabbing you. Uh, it's very much implied, the horror is implied. And that was not a common thing, especially on the, you know, the, the, um, uh, uh, when you on the circuit it was on you know it ended up in the south playing you know uh, oh, double yeah. bill uh, at the drive-in and that's not mm-hmm. you know as a drive-in film people were probably like what the hell is this mm-hmm. you know this is not you know i just want to see like people getting eaten by monsters i right. don't really i'm not interested in Where's this the body horror um yeah, yeah so yeah, it's a lot it, deeper than like a corman for for example right, right yeah it's yeah. no roger corman it's no it, exactly so i think that was part of it is this doesn't fit easily into something i can market and sell so that mm-hmm. that contributes to something just not being seen on its initial release um and then you know the company's failing you know this is what happened with this film the distributor Mm -hmm. literally they got a check finally from the distributor and it bounced and (laughs) and herrick was like oh crap called them up and uh, you know didn't exist company gone amazing yeah um so so that's what happens is and then it just disappears you know the same thing with the film i was talking about earlier onks the same thing happened it just it got buried no one saw it it became lost it became sought after because a great film just for one reason or another bad business essentially Mm -hmm. leads to something becoming a cult film yeah it it makes me surprised that you know this transfer was made from the original camera negative when that kind of thing happens you just think the you know the film could become like a old silent film that's going to be completely lost but Mm -hmm. i don't know Luckily, they, they probably put it in the Centron core of archives or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think yeah. a lot of a lot of cult films that do last. I, well, first off, I think they they're sort of timeless. You know, I, I, Roger Corman did make some good movies. He made some bad ones too, and some are te- play terribly now. Some play okay, 
but I, I'd say very few play as well as Carnival of Souls does today because it does capture the alienation that really probably didn't connect with audiences in 62 uh, or you know didn't really get to audiences in 62, might have connected a little better later in that decade. Uh, and I also think that once once you know the market does kind of discover some of these gems, uh, you know I'm sure there's some good movies out there we don't know about, but um, but the ones that it, it does find and there is a story behind the film, like there is in this case, I think the market kind of gets proud of it. You know, I think people are proud of. You know, I, I'm wearing a Carnival of Souls shirt. You know, that probably uh, nobody foresaw uh, people being selling these. Uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Whether yeah. whether the director intended it or not, the meaning here, I actually. Is this a feminist film? It's the you way know, I read it. One of the things yeah. that I think about when I, yeah. you know, think about the central themes, especially in that time period, is a woman mm-hmm. out on her own. Heaven forbid, there's this unmarried single woman traveling alone to a, a scary new town, and right. and she's a she's she's not a, a person with faith, you know. So here's this, you know, if everyone looks at her, like even the the greasy next door neighbor, wait, you mm-hmm. don't care about God, <laughs> That's right. right? You're a church organist, what you know, what the hell? Small town sixties, I mean, that's you know, unheard so of, pretty much. Even this dirt bag is like, what's right. questioning her morals, you know? So yeah, it's, the, it's the an interesting, neighbor, yeah. maybe unintended. Um, and I look at you know another film that you know, we'll be talking about later perhaps is Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. you know, so oh, yeah. Romero's casting choice, casting a, a black lead in that film, right. you know, meant, it means so much more even now. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that's, I think that's part of it. I think you're, you're very, you're right, Aaron, this, this kind of, the film has a lot of lasting power and yeah. it has something to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely about... speaks to uh, modern times. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. No, I was just, I'm curious about, um, you know, the there we are going to talk about more of the influence uh, of the film because that's that's pretty important. I'm curious what you guys think about the the influence on the film itself because um, you know he this is from the Criterion site. It's mentioned the supplements too, where uh, Harvey was calling it the it has the look of a Bergman and the feel of a Cocteau. So mm-hmm. you know when you've got you know this low budget horror film, horror ish film if you want to call it that, and thinking of obviously these Herc and, you know, maybe uh, Clifford were into more art house films, you know, curious about the, uh, the influence on the film. And and, and you think of the timing too. I mean, it wasn't seen, uh, it was made in 62, but it wasn't seen at that time. I mean, was it an influence on, uh, we'll talk about the influence on, on films later, but you know, what kind of films maybe was he watching um, into, you know, leading into this? I'll, I'll just mention a couple I was thinking of was, um, with with like the window reflection shot uh, with a man outside, I thought of uh, the Innocence, which was a year Good earlier. One. Good one, yeah. Um, you know, great, the, great movie, great my, gothic horror. Yeah, probably my favorite shot from that is a, a similar shot to that. And I also thought of uh, something later that this wasn't an influence on the film, but uh, Suspiria. You have a, a similar kind of mm-hmm. a window shot there. So, um, but. There, there are others, uh, probably. So, I mean, what do you guys think about the imp- what might have influenced uh, Herc mm. and Clifford? Well, I'll say that uh, uh, Corman would not have uh, cited Bunuel, or I'm sorry, uh, Cocteau as an influence, <laughs> uh, for sure. No. Uh, no. I, I, I'm sure Eric can, has a lot more on this, but I'll, I'll just say that I saw, especially you touched on the fem- feminist, feminist uh, themes, uh, I, I saw a lot of Psycho in this movie. And uh, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think, think there's some influence there. But also, just because they did cite these two filmmakers, this was not... And these are were not your average ordinary Hollywood filmmakers, and they were going for something. Uh, even if they didn't plan it all out, that it's going to have this deeper meaning. I think they were right. going for something that was uh, something that more in the art film 
direction. Right. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can't. I mean, his quote about Bergman and Cocteau is obviously very lofty. You know, that was what he aspired to in his life and perhaps didn't really ever get there. Um, Mm -hmm. So probably a more personal and like broad influence there. Uh, I can't help think of, but help, I help but thinking of the Twilight Zone. Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's been, it's been, you know, three, four years going at that point. And it really, the film actually does feel like a really excellent longer Twilight Zone episode. And it has that same kind of, you know, it's very similar. Um, so any, you know, and you know, everyone that's a fan of, of that show, of course, I'm sure is a fan of this, uh, film. So I don't know if that was a direct influence as he's really gone out of his way to say that, you know, you know, don't read too much into this. We were just, you know, three weeks on vacation, wanted to make something fun. Right. Um, but I think, you know, in a general way, you know, he's, he's mentioning some, you know, he purposely shot, you know, black and white. He wanted mm-hmm. to have that kind of look. He's yeah, I mean, playing with shadows. Feels like a Bergman film. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 In that way. And and with the Twilight Zone too, and I don't know if people have seen a lot of Twilight Zone, but uh the twist at the end too mm. is very Twilight Zone ish. Absolutely. Uh, there's a, a famous episode. I, I'm not a huge buff, but I've seen a, a handful, but there's one called To Serve Man. Yes. If you've seen that, that that's kind of Carnival of Souls ish. Um, yeah. Uh, I won't like spoil a... that episode, but it will. Ju- no, I, I'm just going to leave that there. It was like a Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. They, I think they played off of that too. Right, <laughs> nice. of, of course, course, the Simpsons. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I, I have to. I mean, I didn't remember it the first time, but watching it again this time, especially with the black and white, and having watched Psycho on Blu-ray a couple years ago, I mean, from the the shot of her driving, you know, uh, mm-hmm. by herself. I mean, you can't help but think of Psycho. Oh, sure. and I thought about the eyeball too. You know, we've got. Um, you know, Lyndon's eyeball in the kind of that gaze in mm. uh, looking at her as she's, mm-hmm. um, you know, putting her, her robe on. I thought of the eyeball in, in Psycho 2. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, yeah. kind of an extreme close up and, of course, the yeah. black and white cinematography. So. I mean, I think you have to, again, unless you've made film or produced film, it's hard to really know the ins and outs of what it takes to do something. But especially in this time period, with the budget they had and the time that they have mm-hmm. to create something that's that effective and that it looks that good yeah. and professional is that's an achievement yeah you know? oh it's, huge yeah it, it, so that's to me when i see it and i and seeing this restoration you're just just kind of blown away that this happened yeah at all yeah. <laughs> kind of beyond their wildest dreams i mean can you imagine just you know throwing sixteen thousand dollars together and making a film and it, you yeah, know 40 years weeks. later uh, it's in the criterion collection and uh right. and rift tracks <laughs> yeah yeah Another theme I, I thought of, and maybe this one plays uh, into, again, he didn't mention it, but I thought of Antonioni uh, because of the very early on, like from the just taken from the early scenes of her in the car where she's just feels like she's out of her element. And throughout the entire film, she has this just what seems like an inability to connect to anybody mm-hmm. uh, and feels alienated. So, I mean, if that's not Antonioni. Oh, you could you could so. see uh, Monica Vitti playing that character. Right. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so well, we we've we have kind of danced around a little bit, and we did mention spoilers, but we did want to get into the uh, the ending, uh, where I'll just say what happens uh, at the very end, as everything has been going along, and you're questioning really where she is, what's going on to, to some extent, um, and we mentioned the car crash at the beginning, and uh, early in the film, she comes at she seems to come out of the the water, you know, she kind of walks on that peninsula, and it's, it's covered in mud. Uh, but at the very end, we see the car being uh, removed from the water, and she is still in the car. That's our, mm-hmm. our final uh, final shot when we see the end. So, um, you know, against her will. 
Right. right. <laughs> Curious what you guys thought about the end. I mean, um, you know, what uh, what was going on? What was happening in the film? And what did you think of the end? Well, it was interesting in the in the commentary. Um, you know, Herc talks about and John Clifford talk about how this was conceived and how quickly it was written. And mm. and John was talking about how. Uh, he just kind of wrote it as it went. He wasn't sure where it was going to end mm-hmm. up. And he didn't know until, I don't know, he was like halfway through writing it where he wanted to go with the film. So it's interesting. That's interesting, yeah. That, that, that's, that's the way he approached this. Um, it, it feels like it, it would have started with the end, but that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of, you know, and I don't know, I haven't seen it so many times, I don't know at what point I kind of knew what was happening or knew what was going on. I think you might suspect it as you go. It's yeah. not, it's not that mm-hmm. hidden uh, that something odd is happening. And uh, But I think right. there is that balance between is this, um, is this in her head? Is this a film about someone with, you know, psychological problems? Mm-hmm. Or is this, you know, mm-hmm. um, really happening? Or right. somewhere in between? Um, so I think that that's kind of played with a lot. Uh, in the film, which is, it's always fun to kind of, yeah. know, kind of it, it, leaving things ambiguous. I think right. it's mm-hmm. good. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the, the end is what it is, but the whole story is, is ambiguous, you know, is what really, really happens. So I, the, and there's a lot of mention in the essay and some of the, the supplements just about, you know, discussion about this idea of, you know, was she in some kind of purgatory? Was she between right. worlds? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that whole um, piece of it, you could kind of think about and you know, obviously it was a, a influence on other films I, I tend to kind of think of it that way and I that's what I love when thinking about this film is you know both the the feminist piece of it that I took much more on a second viewing but also you know just thinking about you know where is she really what's this idea you know is it is it you know is she breaking down is it psychological is she mm-hmm. in a, is she in a purgatory is she crossing currently has she already crossed where did these people come from why can they see her sometimes and not others and I just love the transition of the you know, the, um, the dream sequence there, because I, I think of, you know, who hasn't had a, a dream before where people, uh, can't hear you, you're speaking and right. people can't hear you, you know, kind of that, that, uh, you know, horror like dream. I feel like it happens to me all the time yeah. at work. <laughs> like, That's right. Why is no one listening to me? Right, right. And, you know, we haven't, we haven't really touched on the style much, but I, I think that the, the creepiness and the, um, that organ, that, <laughs> The, the and uh, the, the pacing it actually yeah. does lend well to the mystique of the ending and so even if they yep. didn't intend to make this deep meaning and I'm, I'm sure they did intend there to it to be open-ended um, but of course as film buffs we do take things well beyond uh, what the author and, or the creators intended of yeah. course that's what we do it's right. why but we I, podcast and I, and I only watched this film once but I, I think that having when I watch it again, those little elements that uh, that make it so the, the disconnection, you know, and even some of the the accidents, like the the dubbing problems in the beginning, right? Uh, and, and and that the actor when she uh, goes and is taken across the street to the doctor's psychiatrist, you know, there's the the guy that uh, was not the actual phantom; he's just some guy, but his clunky dialogue does contribute to this little warped dream world that she might be in and, and also yeah. what doctor and I don't know what kind of doctor he was but he wasn't a psychologist but what doctor even in 1962 would take you across the street and psychoanalyze you right <laughs> you've had a shock yeah, <laughs> yeah. maybe back then uh, but uh... <gasps> what is it that man I didn't mean any harm. I just stopped to get a drink. 
No. No. It was that man. That man. There was someone else there. That strange man was there. Now look, look, you've had a fright. Hysteria won't solve anything. Now control yourself. Look, I'm Dr. Samuels. My office is right across the street there. You've had a shock. If you would like my assistance, I'll be glad to offer it. Thank you. Yeah, there, there are enough disorienting things that... Uh, I, I don't think there's a clear answer. I think that's part of the fun, is you can kind of ascribe meaning and, and come up with theories. And I, I was just kind of surfing the Internet, found that people have really elaborate theories as to uh, what this film means. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure people argue them, too, but nobody's right. <laughs> right. Hence the, hence the Lynch influence, you know, talking right? about theories. So, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's a good transition. I mean, uh, this film obviously influenced others and continues to do so. I talked about the 10 year revival and uh, you know, a couple couple names. You'd mentioned George Romero, Night of the Living Dead. You can't help but see that uh, yeah, influence. Yeah, he's, he's named that for sure. He's named this film as an influence, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I can see that for sure. Could yeah. be ghosts, could be zombies, you know, whatever they those beings are. Yeah. Um, for sure. And, you know, of course, uh, David Lynch. But, uh, yeah, I'll turn it to you uh, first, Eric. You know, what, what do you think about the uh, the influences? Well, it's interesting. Yeah, you mentioned um, David Lynch. He's, he's named this uh, film as an influence for uh, Racerhead, actually, when he was making that so it's interesting oh, sure his first feature um, yeah yeah so a lot of people were tuned in and, and 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 you're wondering how they actually were exposed to this film because it really right. wasn't out there um in the 60s so it's interesting and, and i don't know the answer to that but it would be interesting to find out how yeah. how these directors actually saw this film mm-hmm. yeah. in, the, in the in the 60s and early 70s um yeah, one thing I can't I've just been thinking about um that the bridge scene specifically makes me think about Tim Burton and Beetlejuice mm-hmm. And in fact, now I'm thinking, is the entire like idea of Beetlejuice based on this film? I don't know, hmm. but uh, sure. you know, we can see hmm. that it starts with the bridge. They're not sure that they're dead, right? You know, they realize that they're dead. So it's just interesting. Uh, so I think it goes. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of it's one of those things that again we talked about how this was really prevalently out there in you know in the quote unquote public domain. And Romero talks actually a lot about Night of the Living Dead and how he had the sea struggle with the same issues with his mm-hmm. film, where people just assume that it's available um, and anyone can make a copy of it and sell it, and it just wasn't the case actually, which mm-hmm. I'm sure it was with this film. It's not. It wasn't, and people just did it and, because they could. Right. Um, so I think because it's so was so widely available and pre- prevalent, um, I think there's a lot. I think there could be a lot of influence um, out there for sure. Yeah, and continues to influence. You know, right? And I, I don't. I don't know that because it was hard to get and hard to see in the '60s. But I, I do kind of lump it with a lot of those B-movie, micro-budget films, uh, and, and was talking with a couple of people on Twitter about it, uh, and I, a couple of films came up. Night of, Li- Night of the Living Dead, of course, is a big one. Also, uh, Jack Hill's uh, Spider Baby, uh, yeah. which is more on the camp side, and mm-hmm. I, it, it probably wasn't influenced by this, but I, I just I see those in the same category, and, and I think a lot of these films down the road have certainly influenced uh, even a lot of uh, the lower-budget uh, 80s horror uh, maybe angst. I don't know. I haven't seen it. But <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No. 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 But I, I think the influence is far-reaching. Um, and I, and actually, I think the influencing somebody like Lynch, then who has influenced countless filmmakers, uh, right. you know, it, it's kind of never-ending. So I, it's a surprising, surprisingly important film. Um, if I were the filmmaker, I'd be pretty proud. 
Yeah, exactly. It's a couple of, um, you know, it, again, thinking of this as a uh, feminist film, I mean, I, the first influence I picked up was Psycho. Uh, but, you know, the film I kept writing in my notes was Repulsion uh, from... Oh, that's a good one. Um, yeah. you know, Polanski. I mean, I, I just... I'll, I'll mention a couple of reasons. I mean, I, I was thinking of, you know, how early on Mary talks about how... Um, the she saw how Mrs. Thomas is nervous. Uh, she doesn't sleep, uh, and you know she talks about the old these old houses could hide a man in any corner, and you know kind of in, for me inform that experience that um, Deneuve has in in Repulsion, uh, and how she Barry also has she doesn't have de- any desire for the close company of other people, mm-hmm. and you think of Deneuve in that film where she is at. at in one instance, interested by it, but also repulsed by men, um, and of course the you know the black and white uh, you know cinematography where um, yeah it just reminded me a lot of uh, Repulsion. The the other one and um, Eric, you were talking about another film. I think you were talking about Angst off Mike that reminded me very late in the film. There is a um, a shot where I it looks like either the camera is right below them. Or is uh, in during the dance scenes where the camera is either mounted to them or is uh, below them, and I mm-hmm. thought of you know like Requiem for a Dream, and I think you mentioned like Anks had some shots like that that you know I hadn't I can't think of another uh, film at ni- 1962 or earlier that kind of had that view where the you know the camera is right positioned on on the face and is actually moving with them. Hmm. Yeah, that's so, a, that's an interesting that point one. in the when we talk about the supplements, I'll we'll be talking about the some of the Centron. Uh, uh, industrial films that mm-hmm. were made, and so it's interesting that you bring that up because there are some some camera techniques and some of that work that are came from that that are fresh and different and something you wouldn't mm. see. Um, I actually speaking of Darren Aronofsky, uh, I'm actually wondering if his first film Pie. Oh um, yeah, oh yeah, some, see that as well. Some influence a good one. here, especially thematically, the black and white. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, it's much more frenetic, like intense, intense film. But but uh, you it's... know, again, someone struggling with reality you know, on the streets, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very much a teeth grinding cool. movie. <laughs> yes. I, I can see that being, a, th- that could be one of those where it's the Lynchian extension. So, you know, you have, mm. have Carnival, then you have Racerhead and then you have pie, but, uh, but I'm sure Aronofsky has probably seen Carnival, uh, probably saw it before he made the film. I, yeah. I'd be curious if Polanski had, uh, had seen this or could have seen this because yeah, those parallels are, are, are there. Of course they could be yeah. for psycho as well. I get you might never know, right? Yeah, Psycho was, um, you know, was if I remember, it was uh, I think sixty. So I thought of Psycho before this, and then yeah, uh, Repulsion of sixty five, three years mm-hmm. later. So you know, it's possible. Never know. Never yeah. know. So uh, uh, probably time for our ratings. I mean, any kind of final thoughts, Eric? And what would you give uh, Carnival of Souls as a film rating? We do a one to ten. One to ten. Ten being the best. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, again, this is one of those films for me. It's right along the lines of Night of the Living Dead. It's a groundbreaking film. Film that's for the ages. Um, it's just one that I could always watch and always will watch. It's one that I would recommend to anyone, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're a horror fan or not. In fact, mm-hmm. I watched this uh, last year with my daughter uh, when she was nine. Um, we watched Night of the Living Dead this year, uh, so working working our way up. Working your way through. Uh, <laughs> she did Next not sleep very well last night. Also, uh, <laughs> right, right. Uh, but uh, and she, you know, she was interested, but also slightly bored. So we'll try yeah. again. Yeah, uh, but you know, at yeah. that age, I could I could see that the pacing is not like 
those kids today with their <laughs> take their her films. to phantasm trust me <laughs> there you go yes. yeah. perfect um but you know i would have to give this a nine i would say i just mm-hmm. it's one of those films that it's like a go-to film so yeah uh, fair what about you aaron well, you know, this is my first time seeing it, and I, I know, uh, Eric, you've seen it probably ten times more than I have, uh, But um, so I guess I've seen it like one and a half times, so <laughs> watch the commentary. Sure. And, and sure. again, I, I try to, just my way of approaching a film is I try to go as blind as possible, and I, I which I think benefits you for this film. It, it'd be easy to get spoiled on that ending. But I, I also knew about the reputation, too, and knew that it was kind of seen as this uh, this indie camp movie I mean, it's not quite camp, but you know, it's it's categorized around those like like Spider Baby. Um, so I I didn't expect much. I expected it to be kind of uh, crappy. So I was very <laughs> right. very pleasantly surprised. And and honestly, it is crappy in a way. Like there is some amateurism, <laughs> yeah. but I really like some of the the amateurism. Like uh, and it, this came out in the features, but like the um, the footsteps when she's uh, walking on the the, right. the boardwalk. Uh, they are completely off, and when I saw the, fr- I, I was like, "What is going on? Do they just not have a, a sound engineer?" But when I, when I learned about the accident and how they kept that in there because it does contribute to that disorientation, sure, I was on board. Uh, and so yeah, and and I just think that, I think the film achieved far more than they uh, ever could have um, conceived, and uh, and it does it is timeless. So I'm I'm actually surprising myself. I'm giving it an eight out of ten. Nice. Which, yeah, I really took to took to this. That's great. It's great, Aaron. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Uh, I didn't write my rating here, but it, it is an eight for me. I know IMDb get, gives it a a seven point two, and I I could even go higher, but I, I think some of those filmmaking things kind of keep it from being um, absolutely groundbreaking for me. But th- this was mm-hmm. a really revelatory experience for me watching it with this um, transfer and the themes that I took from it. I mean, the influences I was looking at, but those feminist themes, I, I just, I saw it this time watching it. I I knew the ending and I just, I I took those themes, especially, especially those, um, you know, she's so disoriented early on. She looks like she's dead throughout. She just has this kind of blank look on her face and bewildered. And those scenes with John Linden, I mean, I'm just, I was, I was so repulsed you know, by him, but she's also <laughs> drawn to him because she's scared, you know, and it's right. just that that dichotomy of this, you know, again, the, the male-dominated world of, and, and someone, uh, a woman trying to make her way through that. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, it, it was really rich for me, and just knowing, again, that it was something that um, maybe they thought of as part of the filmmaking, maybe they didn't, but I, I took it away, so it's, it's an eight and will probably grow in my uh, estimation. Yeah, and we, we didn't talk about that, that that enough, but you know, she she's he's pretty smarmy. <laughs> yeah. he's he's very smarmy, and uh, <laughs> but she and she uh, is is not taken to him. But on the other hand, she does want safety and security. So right. you know, she's in this strange world that uh, she can't really. Uh, it's kind of insane, actually, and so she he keeps her grounded, and that's. But then she, he repulses her again, as he should. Well, I think Repulsion. it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think you know this speaks to people who feel like the misfit, you know. Exactly. So I think that that's yeah. there's there's this part of it that you know she wants to be normal, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially. She wants to to you know have relationships and and you know interactions with you know her her scumbag neighbor uh because that's <laughs> right. what people do right, right. and and she mm-hmm. and she's not able to so i think that mm-hmm. that's you know you know there's the feminist theme but i think there's that that's kind of outsider misfit yeah um For i sure. don't really fit in and i don't know why and i don't know how 
Um, and, and there's a lot to that. Yeah, very deep. Absolutely. Yeah, good film. I'm glad we agree, mostly. And of course, yeah. Eric, you've seen it a, a gazillion times. So. Well, yeah, it's like kind of unfair to include <laughs> <laughs> me but, in the rating, but... No, yeah, it's fair. Yeah, it's, a, it's important. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's get into the supplements. I mean, we've talked the past week about how stacked this is, and uh, I, I know we at varying degrees of what we are able to check out, but uh, Aaron, uh, here we go again. Eric, I'll turn it to you first. Um, I, I know you, you wanted to dig into some of the history of uh, Centron, especially in uh, the Saltaire part. So what about those? Yeah, yeah. So there was, there's a, a great set of, um, a selection, if you will, of Centron Corporation films. Um, there's, see, there's one, six different films um just looking at my notes sounds here. right yeah uh so and they're kind of all over the map they start in the the 19 mid 1950s and they go all the way up to actually the early 80s um the the first one is uh um called star 34 from 1954 hmm. and it's a it's basically a tourism film for the state of kansas like look how great kansas is <laughs> come to kansas you know so it's a couple trying to be they're like oh i have to move here for work and then they're like wow kansas is amazing <laughs> thanks random guy in an office for, for allowing me this opportunity so right. it's your your typical kind of you know it's you know not a none of these are by the way like good looking they're kind of what they had lying around so right. really bad transfers uh you know color color film but just you know it doesn't look good but I, actually it's kind of yeah. like the allure a right. little bit mm-hmm. seeing yeah. these hokey industrial films it's probably video at best but right. yeah it's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um and there's uh, there's a film called uh rebound from 1954 uh where a, a gentleman goes blind after an accident and he can't deal with being blind he's just very mm. oh life sucks i'm gonna sit in a chair and, and they're like well no we have services to help you so it's actually it was a you know basically a psa about rehab services for the blind seems like a really really specific thing to have a 22 minute film about but (laughs) i guess someone needed that so yeah (laughs) there you go yeah with all these i'm just curious about how they were used you know i've got to go back and watch it because it's you you don't get that kind of thing no yeah i mean that's the you know so they were for the most part, there was all contract work, really, you know, so the term industrial is maybe a little confusing, but essentially mm-hmm. it's like any sort of long format, non-commercial, uh, but not like something that would be for the masses. It's really right. for a select audience. So, right. you know, so it's not going to be on TV, but it's going to be, you know, right. s- shown to a group of people with uh, yeah. some it's particular Yeah, it's that, that bread and butter work that, you know, commercial filmmakers have, you know, mm-hmm. a lot, essentially a lot of work that they're doing if you're not in the hollywood system is this kind of work for for businesses um another one was um i'll just go through there's not that many i'll try to be brief um case history of a sales meeting (laughs) which uh (laughs) sounds enthralling it (laughs) actually was one of the more interesting ones and it was it was actually a film for centron themselves to give to businesses to talk about the kind of um services they provide so it was really kind of it's a fun one to watch it was a little meta yeah Yeah. it's only six minutes so if you're going to pick one to watch that's that's a good one to, to watch daddy um, let's watch the one about the sales meeting <laughs> so there was another one that i wasn't sure what it was going to be about called to touch a child uh, uh, yeah, okay. you know, i was like wait a minute what's going on here it's from 1966 we commissioned this <laughs> yeah but it, it actually Nambla. ended up being Nambla. this really <laughs> so let's, let's not talk about hey. this time. um uh it so really was ended up being a really dry piece about after school programs in schools for the community and adults. So it was mm, about like, how do you how use the school after hours? It just sits there. 
and taxpayers are paying for it. So it's just really, you know, probably made for some sort of a school district to promote, you know, what they had going on. So sure. not, you know, not that the title probably could have been better, probably a better choice <laughs> for, for that Especially one. Especially today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the next was a, a it was actually a it was a two minute commercial uh, for Centron, another promotional video from 1967, mm -hmm. which really used some interesting video techniques. Like they're really trying to show off what they could do creatively. So there's like fisheye lenses, kind of shooting around the offices, showcasing all showcasing all the different production and post production things they do. Mm. Interesting, two minutes, so it's a good watch to kind of get a look into what it was like at Centron. Sure. Um, and then another one with a great name, and it actually was really entertaining from 1982. So it was a later later piece called Signals, Read em or Weep. Uh, <laughs> it was about uh, equipment operator safety. So like operating big machinery and, you know, so some some you know it's kind of slapsticky you know some the, the the boss's truck gets crushed by a guy who didn't use his his loader properly and oh. you know things like that <laughs> right. so so you know again it was i thought it might have been about traffic safety but it wasn't um it was about operating your your loaders and and equipment haulers properly mm -hmm. so. interesting uh, but but mm. overall just a really a really good peek into um what it was like at the centron corp their daily their daily work it's cool yeah and you know we we mentioned uh carnival of souls and, and rip tracks earlier a lot of these shorts kind of seem like the material that like mst3k would do and, and actually mm. I, hopefully somebody knows the answer but i wonder if they have done uh uh riffs to these um to any of these shorts oh right yeah, yeah that's true they, they may have yeah and i'm interested to see kind of a full list of Centron films just to, cause you know, it's interesting just to see, you know, who are they making films for and why? Um, but they were, yeah. you know, in, in some of the historical um, stuff in the supplements talking about Centron and, and, you know, they were, they were one of the go-to places in the country actually for this type of work in the sixties and seventies. So right. actually I've been Googling as we've been talking and, uh, and some of them have been on MST3K. So oh, nice. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. Perfect. Nice. Uh, um, so should I talk about the other? Yeah. How about Saltair? I, okay. Yeah. Um, just very briefly, um, there is a, a, a sh in, made in the sixties actually a piece looking at the history of the Saltair, uh, which was the you know as they called it the trying to be the um, uh, you know this 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 destination in the Midwest um, mm -hmm. like Coney Island you know the place you would go it has the right. the largest. I think it was the largest dance floor in the world at yeah. the time, like 2000. At, at least the country and, and, and maybe the world. Yeah, yeah. it's something yeah. like, you know, this sprawling epic photo actually of like 2000 people on this dance floor, you know, like Glenn right. Miller would play there. So it's this really interesting um, place. So, so there's a, there's about a half an hour from a uh, really rough shape, you know, this it is, is in 1966. Yeah. So this is, you know, just be, be be aware if you watch this it's, it does mm -hmm. not look good um but it's got some really interesting information um yeah, it wasn't Saltaire i i think maybe gold on the supplements mentioned how it was uh, the mormons showing hey we like to have fun too yes so. yes <laughs> yeah, that was... yeah it's uh, interesting and, and you know the thing it burned several times right um, yeah you know, pieces it, of it like three different times or something yeah, yeah, yeah boy kept rebuilding it terrible love uh, cursed history it, it really oh, does yeah. fit with the film yeah, location. yeah it really was cursed and it, they, it, it burned and then the water receded and then they rebuilt it in 1980 they mm -hmm. reconstructed it 
which yep. is crazy. Like, why would you do this? Mm-hmm. And then it flooded yep. after it was open for a year, and it flooded. Right. I know. I thought, Probably Wait the, a minute. The, all right. Well, the, we, we don't have to worry about the water enveloping it, but they, <laughs> right. they did. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and, you know, again, it, it, you know, I, and actually now it's it's was rebuilt again in the 2000s, not the whole mm-hmm. grandiose, you know, uh, structure. And it's a music venue. So it has been for several years. A lot of acts oh, cool. that come through that area, major acts play there. So it's yeah. interesting. But, but so this is a, you know, it's very much a, a, you know, kind of a time capsule, albeit a rough one uh, in the 60s of, you know, kind of what what the Psalter was until from, you know, kind of turn of the century all the way to the 60s and the history there. So it's, it's definitely an interesting look. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some looks into that, too, in some of the other supplements, you know, especially I think uh, Dan and Gould, Gould talks about it. But, mm-hmm. yeah. So what about you, Aaron? What did you check out or well, I, focus on? I'll talk about the Well, just quickly, uh, Dana Gould is all over this disc. And uh, for those who don't know, he's a comedian. And again, uh, he's he's working on the new MST3K. There's a lot of these uh, overlap uh, with uh, these uh, these programs or these uh, the spoof programs, I guess. But he's also a comedian that's a film buff, and I, I really think that this it's just fantastic when they get people like this. Uh, you know, Bill Hader has been on before, and, and he's going to be uh, involved with Filmstruck, and of course, he's nice. part of a documentary now too. So I, I, I right there are a lot of it seems like a lot of the better comedians these days. You know, Patton Oswalt are, mm. are are film buffs, and uh, and there's a lot of overlap. So I, I'd love to see Patton Oswalt on a, on a disc as well. Yeah, but I, I thought his visual essay. Was uh, was really interesting because it it wasn't really a academic visual essay. It was more of a fan essay, which I think is yeah. is, is befitting this kind of uh, this kind of feature. So, um, and I was just glad he was on there. And plus, he narrated uh, or he read a portion of a book. I forget what it was called, but um, and usually I don't listen to the audio only um, uh, supplements, but this one. I, yeah, I, I just dug it. It was only like eight nine minutes, and uh, and Dana Gold is an animated reader. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm going to touch on the commentary real quick, and uh, I, I thought it was a, an I- interesting commentary, but it's not a real commentary. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a selected scene commentary, selected scene. Yeah. and it's really not. Uh, it's uh, Herc and Clifford talking about the film, but not as they're watching it. It's it's really I think it's an outtake from an interview. And so I think they just plug in the portions that apply to the scenes as they play. So yeah, it's it's pretty heavy on the on the commentary near the beginning, but towards the 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 middle half, towards the end, uh, you have to skip around the chapters. And uh, and the good thing is the chapters do align with the parts that have commentary. So if there's no commentary in the chapter, you just skip to the next one. Uh, so they do give a lot of insight. I, I think a lot of it we touched on you know, that they didn't. Yeah. They didn't expect this. Uh, they didn't understand the ending. They are just amazed that people have taken this uh, to such lengths. Uh, and they they talk right. about the the talent. How uh, they, you know, um, the lead actress uh, Gilloss, whatever her name is, uh, she was from the Strasbourg School. So you know, you, you really, uh, yeah, Hillegas, excuse me, Hillegas, <laughs> Hillegas. I don't know what I said before, but she she, she trained with you know uh, the the people that the big method actors of the day, but she really didn't go anywhere. And then Sidney Berger is, uh, the smarmy guy is terrific. And, uh, and they talk about that and, you know, he's, he's done done a couple things. I think he actually, no, he, he didn't do anything. Uh, He did some theater, I think, or or now Mm -hmm. he, he teaches or or now then he taught. Yeah. He was a teacher. Yeah. They they, they kept him up all night. He was, you know, falling asleep as a, (laughs) he was in class. (laughs) Uh, but I think later he ran a dra- drama program, uh, and of course a lot of these people have passed, in- including uh, Berger, uh, just passed recently. 
but yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting to hear them reflect on it and and kind of kind of because they didn't expect it to be as big a thing it is. So this is really their their big moment that they're um, and they're, uh, another feature was a reunion too. So it was neat to see that. Uh, so yeah, yeah, but but it's not like a scene by scene. Hey, well, what were we thinking on this scene? You know, it, it's not like that. But it's more just a, an interview with you can listen to while watching. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember them during the commentary saying people asked them, you know, is she alive? Is she dead? And they're like, oh, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you tell <Yeah>. us. <laughs> so yeah. Well, a couple I just wanted to touch on too. And you know, Aaron, you you mentioned um, there are two new supplements of. A lot are ported over from the DVD, but you mentioned the the Gould uh, visual essay that is new. Um, another, I'm going to talk about the other new one, but the the one um, I wanted to mention too is the movie that wouldn't die. It's about 30 minutes, and this mm-hmm. is it came with the theatrical re-release I talked about from 1989, um, and it's a it's a it was actually made for a television in Topeka, Kansas, and gives some uh, a tour of some of the modern day locations, which was interesting to see but it, it is kind of poor quality this one too i'd say probably more like uh vhs but it talks about the the local investors and some of the you know the production cost having to get the the car out of the uh, um you know the lake there and how it uh, it did you know fail financially initially and you do get um, some shots of clifford and harvey um talking about the the film and how it started to play in Europe but I one of the most interesting things was coming back to that uh, reunion uh, that you mentioned you know is in this um supplement and so we see you know of course uh, Candace and uh, some of the actors and Harvey puts the makeup back on during that and uh, as they uh, are <laughs> awkward very weird <laughs> so it's it's interesting I, I I like the the history of that one kind of getting it from um you know people's mouths and then the other one is the as i alluded to there's a um it's about a little over 20 minutes uh, regards from nowhere is another video essay from uh, another new one from criterion with uh done by really narrated by critic and filmmaker david cairns and uh this one's great um i, I liked how it brought a lot of different voices to it um referenced uh, uh jan Svankmeyer, who directed Alice and his LSD trials and kind of becoming a uh, similar to Mary when she was can't really you know the interlaying of uh, reality so references to LSD there was um, Steve Bissonette who I didn't realize he's a horror cartoonist from Vermont uh, who who was on here kind of talking about the uh, the film and the mention of uh, Eraserhead and Spider Baby that you mentioned Aaron and the Tingler um, all as um, you know, similar styles with uh, kind of a crazy storyline. There's also Anne Billison is a critic and, and horror novelist. So, um, you know, as I mentioned before, I, I thought that w- this was really nice to kind of get those differing opinions. You get a lot of good insight, you know, just in 25 minutes. Uh, Aaron and I, we always rave about the visual essays. Mm-hmm. And they, they do a, a good job. And, of course, a room reference um, in yeah. this where <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was great. They showed a, a still on the roof and uh, how the cast was, you know, very eager. Uh, and basically talking about why does Carnival of Souls work and the room doesn't, you know. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned how huh. the oh, it cast does. is very... It works. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It works for me. Uh, and, you know, how it uh, they the cast really tries to be recognizable uh, in their human emotions that they show, but it just kind of misses somehow. And, you mm-hmm. know, they, they, they hit with uh, Carnival of Souls, so... Yeah, really, really good uh, 
really good supplement. So yeah, yeah, very stacked release. Uh-huh. Yeah. Some oh, and some references I should mention too was uh, Bissonette to last year at Marienbad, another Criterion mm-hmm. connection. Yeah, quite um, a few. And and, and I can and, see that one too. Uh, yeah. The the mystery. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many. The location. You know the mm-hmm. European oh, estates. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. One thing I should mention is there are if if you're spoiler sensitive, I, I I've seen all of the movies except for one, but they do in in these supplements. Gould spoils yeah. <laughs> um, the Hitchhiker and uh, the Sixth Sense. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I think that one's pretty safe. Jacob's Ladder and yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. It it is what it is, but yeah. So yeah, good good supplements. I you know, and a lot of them too. So you know, we kind of give a one to ten rating again, putting everything together for a a Criterion release. What would you give it, Eric? Well, um, yeah, I did. I did get a chance to check out most of the the supplements. I think they're good. Um, there's a lot there. I, that's a tough one. I I I'd probably say an eight. Uh, mm-hmm, really? I think there's, okay. There's a lot there. Um, um, you may be hoping for a little bit more, but honestly, there's there. You know, if you want to dive in, there's plenty to dive in on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I think for an upgrade or really a reissue is what it is. Uh, they really did pack it full. I mean, they they brought over everything from the DVD plus a mm-hmm. couple more. I and uh, I, I guess they they could have added another commentary, more of an academic commentary. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I sure. was fine. I, I spent a lot of time with this disc, so um. So I, yeah, I'm going to go quite a bit higher than you, Eric. I'm going to say yeah. a, a nine, nine and a half. Wow. I'm kind of torn between. I'll, I'll say a nine. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely if if you're into cult horror, I think this is a must must have. Yeah, must own. Well, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I, I wanted to go as high as a nine five. I'll, I'll I'm going to bump it down to a nine because I, I I think you're right. The academic commentary would be great, but there's so much in here. Mm-hmm. Transfers just. To me, the transfer is oh, just draw, jaw dropping. The I transfer is is a number one reason to buy it. Yeah. I think it yeah. just looks so good. It's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. it's it's relevatory. You take an old film like this, and you know the the compared to other copies that are probably out there, and you see some of them in this. Mm-hmm. You know the way it looked, but uh, it's it's really and you can tell when I pop in a disc like this, I can I'm like this is yep. from an original camera negative. You know it's from the negative immediately. Yeah looks that good in, in 4k and if they uh, do a vr version that's probably the next time to upgrade right because you know, there's really no other <laughs> yeah. reason no, to you're right. it's got anything yeah. else it's got to be you know the eighteen thousand k version when it right. comes out but and just look look at any of those uh those public domain youtubes and then compare it with just a still of the um of the restoration and it's like night and day so yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know if I take points away or not. I, you know, I wish that somehow this is this is how I would have loved to have seen a package. I guess is why I, I kicked it down from because I was about, almost ready to give it a ten. But mm-hmm. commentary, and I would have loved if they'd had either a two disc version or a, a DVD, you know, dual format, and just include that director's cut because I, I think it would be great to have that. I, you know, I get that the camera elements. Um, weren't there they weren't the same so they couldn't they didn't want to intersperse them kind of like they did with the uh, the metropolis restoration where you can tell when the footage is different but i would have loved to um basically not have to go back and buy the dvd just to get get that version i I know all the scenes are there but you know just a something that i I would have loved to have seen them do but maybe the way the way they did the the roadshow version of mad 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 world yeah yeah Yeah, exactly Mm, right yeah I, I would say an addendum to my rating. I would say if you're a horror fan like myself, it's a ten for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're a collector, so I would just put add that in there. Mm-hmm. So which yep. you know eight yeah, slash it's, ten. It's it's <laughs> yes. It's an icon for for horror films for sure. Yes. Yep. 
So the last question is, uh, are we going to canonize this thing, Aaron? Well, I, I'm curious what Eric would say. Um, <laughs> uh, usually our personal limit is if we put it nine or higher as a, as a film rating, we would mm. put it in the canon. This one I'm almost willing to make an exception for because I think for indie horror, it's it's kind of a benchmark. It's almost like a, like one of the uh, important films. So I'm mm-hmm. tempted, but again, I, I know I'm, I tend to be voice of reason slash wet towel so uh, but I'm you are a, the toughest grader i am a little tough sometimes but i'm gonna i'm gonna say no but uh but it is tempting and i, I could be talked out of it we'll see wow yeah I, I you know i try to i'm trying to temper this with you know um i'm trying to step outside of you know what i really really enjoy personally and look mm-hmm. at it you know holistically mm-hmm. um and and you know again if the, if we were talking about Night of the Living Dead I think that's a no brainer in yeah. fact I'd love to see a Criterion release absolutely yeah. um, but I also feel like this is the next best thing this is one of those films that you know I guess on on one hand it's so prevalent it's such a part of you know pop culture and you know it's, I think it's almost transcended cult status in a way it's just it's just prevalent sure. mm-hmm. um, so whether that weighs in on whether it should be canonized I don't know I mean I have to say I don't think I would feel good about myself if I didn't say yes it should be in the canon okay <laughs> so, right he, he can sleep you can sleep at night Eric okay. that's right you've done yes. your duty <laughs> yes uh, well, I, I put a lot of pressure on Aaron because I my feeling about this really is I would go either way. I could easily canonize it. And I can understand not canonizing it, you know, based on the film itself. So, um, unfortunately, not going into canon, but uh, it's it, it's really really important film. Like like Eric said, even if you if you're a horror fan, obviously you've got to see it. Even if you're not a horror fan, I mean, this was this is the film I'm looking at as potentially being the first real especially for an older horror film showing my kids, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it'll be psycho, but I'm thinking this is probably a good, you know, even though it's, it's a little slow, but it's not too scary. And I think they can, they can take some from it. So, Just yep. out of curiosity, I, I checked to see who has a night of the living dead and forgotten films released one in 19, or 19 in 2008. So maybe there's a, another, another version coming, maybe criterion yeah. will get it. So I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I watched just last night, the uh, Japanese Blu-ray, they put out a, a restored version. It was for like the 40th anniversary uh, and it's really mm. the best version out there right now. And it's, it's a uh, region free. So mm. oh, if you're okay. looking for a really good night of the living dead on Blu-ray, the Japanese release is great. Nice. And it can be had pretty affordably. Nice. So. Cool, I think I've yeah. got the UK one, but I don't even remember who put it out, but it's region B. So yeah. Yeah. Good. I have no idea who has the rights or anything to that, but uh, would love to, yeah. that would be a fun one to, to come out on. If not criterion, maybe arrow or somebody. Oh yeah, right. That, that would be that would be great. Nice. That's a Carnival of Souls. Uh, thank you, Ooh. everyone, for for listening. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, you know we could use some more iTunes reviews. Uh, even just a rating just takes a couple of seconds. We could really use that, folks. And would love to hear your feedback. Email us at uh, feedback at criterionclosup.com. Tweet at us. People do, and we love seeing that at criterioncu. And you can. Uh, comment or message at criteria at facebook slash criterion close-up and uh eric thank you so much for joining this yeah, thanks eric absolute pleasure thanks a lot for having me it was great to revisit this film and uh and just dive in and 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 it was a lot of fun nice any anywhere online any online presence that you'd like to to plug or 
Uh, I would say just, you know, check out vtif.org. That's vtiff.org to learn more about the Film Foundation here in Vermont and the festival. Uh, we got a lot of great stuff going on. The Film Society is a program of VTIF, so it's all connected. Um, check it out there. And then if you ever, you know, if you're around in Burlington, uh, come say hi in Absolutely. person. Have a beer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is there we'll, any we'll social media out. for uh, VTIF or, or the Film Society? Um, yeah, the, we, there's a Facebook page, um, Burlington Film Society. Uh, there's also a VTIF. Really, if you, if you find uh, the Vermont International Film Foundation on, on Facebook, um, that's, that's, the, that's the entry point. You'll get everything you need there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. On Twitter, too. And so, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm a member. I definitely I love the, the films that they do. And uh, you might even hear some of their films come up in some short takes later. So maybe mm. I'll do that. Mm. Nice. All right. Cool. <laughs> so, Aaron, where can folks find you online? Uh, I'm a West 505 on Twitter and I'm uh, on letterbox we mention that sometimes I'm DSNT and I just put up my 1999 list uh, which oh, cool. 99 was such an awesome year uh, so I think I had like 45 films on there <laughs> what, what'd you say <laughs> I was doing my matrix my, my best impression of <laughs> that was good it was uh, it was up there it was not Neo. in the top 20 which I think speaks to the the year wow. it was quite a year Ooh. so yeah. uh yeah, I, I I like to post little little fun things like that there sometimes. So, what about you, Mr. Mark? Excellent. Uh, on Twitter at Mark Herney, H U R N E, and uh, Letterbox the same place. I I have some updating to do there, but uh, get yeah. to work, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, um, just wanted to plug our next show. Uh, we actually made a little schedule change. We're going to check out The Vanishing, the French film. Yeah, the, uh, sticking with uh, horror month. It's going to be horror month, yeah, and uh, we yeah we have some fun stuff coming up. Actually, it's going to extend into ne- next month as well, so it's going to be like horror nice. month and a half. Yeah, so, rolling, yeah. You know? so we're Absolutely. just trying to one-up Eric and his little horror-a-day thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Halloween is every day in October, by the way. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. If you <laughs> ask Al Jorgensen, it sure is. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and folks, we, we did have the French series part two that we had scheduled, but we did decide to delay that. We're going to yeah. uh, move the early noir or th- early Renoir to uh, November, but yeah. we will have that upcoming next month. You can blame the hurricane and blame my busy schedule. Um, uh, these, these require a lot of work, and we want to make yeah. sure we give the proper uh, prep time to, um, to them. So, yeah, exactly. Renoir in November. Looking forward to it. Well, thanks for listening to Criterion Close-Up. <laughs> I, I think I think you were talking about Trump's organ, and I was thinking about internal organs like Cronenberg. But uh, <laughs> skin skin flute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this, might, you want me to... this might be our outtake here. <laughs>